0: Good morning, good morning to you watching online, joining us. I know right now there's lots of reports and isolations and people contact having to stay at home and so I'm glad that hopefully some of you are watching and you're joining us as we talk about how does it work today from Genesis chapter 2 and so as we come to God's word I just invite you to pray with me first as we begin and come to, to learn from him and just as we're sitting, I'm inviting you to pray quietly on your own. It's a chance for you to just prepare your own heart and ask for God to speak uh, and to teach you this morning. And if you've brought concerns or heavy hearts this morning, or you can bring those needs to him and, and just lay them at his feet as we come and learn from him together. Praise you, O Lord, that you made a beautiful world in which we could live, that originally you made it perfect, a place where you could commune and relate to us, and we could relate to you. And so today, as we look at your word, would you guide us to just appreciate and worship you more and with deeper appreciation and respect for what you've done, Lord, and what you are doing? We do pray for those? not feeling well today just give them your strength we pray for those carrying heavy burdens that you would lighten that load and enable them to, to have peace in their hearts this morning as they worship here together and most of all holy spirit would you just speak to our hearts and then minister to us this morning as we come to your word guide this preacher lord may i be faithful to the truth of your text we pray this in jesus name amen In 1998, just a couple days before I got married, buddies came out and we went to what was Northland's Coliseum to watch the Oilers play. I don't remember who they were playing. Maybe the Canucks, I don't know. And of course, you know, we were all Bible college students and youth pastors or in ministry, so we were incredibly poor. So I got tickets from my friends. This was sort of the stag kind of party party. Um, you know, and, and so, so I, I bought tickets for, for my buddies, and, and they were, and we, and, you know, and so we got there, and we began to walk up the stairs to our seats, and we kept walking, and we kept walking, and we kept walking, you know, my nose started bleeding. I was getting so high up there. Finally, we, we nearly were touching the roof of, of the Coliseum, and, and four rows from the top, there were our seats. We saw from a very high angle the whole game. I could not see a single face on the ice. But I could see the whole play develop from end to end. And, and, you know, it was a unique, you know, it was a fun experience. It was, you know, it was, it was what it was. It was a, a time for us guys to get together. And so that we got to experience the game from the, you know, the, the nosebleeds. But you see, when we went to college, hockey was different there. It was small town Saskatchewan, uh, most of the rinks. Uh, sev- several of them were these kind of Quonset, you know, Frost line quonset walls, and then, and, and there was, you know, sometimes even, you know, like just, just glass around the ends, and then the, the boards would be wide open. And what we would do is we would literally lean on the boards of the rink and watch the game and when guys would come by you'd have to lean back and pucks would come flying and sticks and you could see the faces of the players you could smell the beer on the breath of the opposing players and it was like it was hockey at its best i mean you felt like you were playing it cuz like it was just right there you could smell it, you could hear it you could you know all the the action was right there and you were you were right on the ice genesis 1 is like the nose You're watching the game from a distance. You're seeing it all lay out. But Genesis 2 is you getting down on the boards and watching the game up close and personal. And so as we get to Genesis chapter 2 and how does it work, the Bible gives us a picture of of God's active involvement in making a perfect world for us to live in. If you have your Bible, so you can follow along with me, or it'll be on the screen as well. Genesis 2, verse 4. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And he changes. In chapter 1, it's just God, Elohim, this, you know, all-powerful, transcendent God. And now in chapter 2, verse 4, it's the Lord God, it's Yahweh Elohim, the the personal covenant-keeping God, the the God who who is up close and personal with you. And and it'll it'll show you that the the God who created the earth wasn't just this sort of, okay, I'm gonna start it, boom, and now it's all up to you guys. Some people believe that, right? God sort of kicked off the earth and then left us to figure it out. But Genesis 2 clearly undermines that because what Genesis 2 tells us is that a personal, caring, invested God set this world up for us to live in in a, perf- in a perfect way the Lord God made the earth and the heavens <laughs> that's all right it's not the first time that's happened to me so that's okay <laughs> it is handy having these things doesn't it uh, verse five someday you know we, we, yeah anyway. Uh, now, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Springs would well up from the ground and water the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the soil of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. From the dust, God creates And this is a reminder to us of our humble state. You know, sometimes we, we think we're really important and valuable and, you know, irreplaceable. But the truth of the matter is we just came from the dust. And, of course, to the dust we will now return. And we all know that. The richest people to the poorest people, no matter what country you live in, no matter what your skin color, no matter, you know, how, how big your funeral or, or your pyramid in which they lay your body, you We'll return to that from which we came. It's just a humble reminder of where we came from. But God made us from the dust of the ground, and then he breathes into into man the breath of life. No other creation gets this personal attention from God. I mean, God makes the animals, makes the fish, makes the birds, makes the trees, makes everything. But then, then into, into into man, he breathes into, the, into him the breath of life. And then at that point, he becomes a living being. So everything that we have comes from this personal God, the Lord God. I mean, he's making the garden. He's causing the water to come up out of the ground. He's forming man from the earth. Apparently, maybe you've heard this joke and story about this scientist who was arguing with God. He's like, you know, not a big deal. You know, anyone could do what you did, God. You know, and you know, I, I could make life too. And yeah, you know, you know, how about let's have a competition? Let's see, you know, who, who 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 can do this? And so God's like, sure, okay, go ahead. So so the guy, you know, sets up his laboratory, and then he goes and he he grabs a pile of dirt, and and God's like, hey, wait a second, get your own dirt. <laughs> God made everything. So even as we try to create life out of nothing, it's impossible because you you have to start with something, but God takes the dirt and he forms us and breathes into into, into us the breath of life. He says in verse 8, The Lord God planted an orchard in the east in Eden, and there he placed the man he had formed. You see, who's doing all the action here? We're not making the garden. We're not planting the the waterways. We're not building the trees. I mean, God is doing everything. The Lord God places man in the garden. It says in verse 9, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow from the soil, every tree that was pleasing to look at and good for food. Now, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were in the middle of the orchard. Here we go, tree of life. This tree shows up again in Revelation chapter 22. The water of of God that flows from the throne room on either side of that river that flows out of the throne room of, of the throne of God is the tree of life. Its leaves are, are healing for the nations, it says in Revelation 22. But in, in the beginning, in the, in the perfect place, and Genesis 2 is describing an ideal perfect world, there are these two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, with the <laughs> conspicuous fruit there, and then the tree of life, right in the middle of the garden. And he's going to come back to these trees in a moment, but he just, you know, he just he's telling you the story. But oh, by the way, in the middle of that garden, there's these two really important Trees, don't forget about that because we're gonna come back to those trees in a moment. But here they are. This tree, access to this tree means that you can live forever and ever and ever. There is no holy grail. The, The holy grail is essentially the tree of life. As long as you have access to this tree, you keep living and living and living and living and living and living forever and ever and ever and ever. And then there's this tree and that tree will be explained in a moment. And then, of course, there's all these other trees in the garden bearing their fruit in season, and it's just this beautiful, idyllic place designed for man and for God to dwell together in relationship with each other. It says in verse 10, Now a river flows from Eden to water the orchard, and from there it divides into four head streams. The the name of the first is Pishon. It runs through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is pure. Pearls and lapis lazuli are also there. What are lapis lazuli? I don't know, but they're really nice, evidently. Valuable, precious. The name of the second river is the Gishon. It runs through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. And it says in verse 15, the Lord God took, the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and to maintain it. You see, he's describing this perfect world. The perfect world has everything you need for life. It has water. It has orchards and trees. You know, it has the tree of life. And it also has us to look after it. God created us to work to be productive, to tend and to care for his perfect world. I mean, sometimes you think, and maybe you're taught or you've, you've learned that, that, that work is not a good thing, that you, you, you work as long as you, you have to work, and then you, you try to stop working because that's, that's the ideal situation. Some of you have not known that reality. You don't know that reality. You, you can't even think of that reality. Others of you are like, yeah, I just can't wait till I can stop working this Freedom 55 thing, right? And then you read about guys like Warren Buffett, who's one of the richest men in the world, who's in his 80s, still works. Why does Warren Buffett work? He doesn't need to work because he likes to work. Because inherent in our DNA, in our makeup, is this need to be productive and, and, to, and to contribute and, and, to, and to, to, to see things happen and to, to put our hands and, and minds to work together. It's part of who we are. Now, as you get older, you should slow down. You should adjust. But but, but to just quit working, I mean, that, that's, that's not in the Bible. The Bible says, no, we were created to look after the garden. The garden didn't take care of itself. We were placed there to take care of it for God. It was this working partnership that, that God and man and woman had together. So... To think that someday you could stop working, I mean, that's, that's not a biblical idea. But maybe you want to change your job. If you can get to a place where you can retire and you have income, then that's maybe an opportunity for you to, to step up and, and to begin serving more. Go on missions trips, invest in local camps, help out at the church a little more. I mean, that's a, that's a blessing. If you get to retirement and you have income, then you can say, yeah, Lord, now I got more to give you, You know, more time, more more, more of my skills, and that's an opportunity. But that's part of who we are. We're created... To work. And then in verse 16. Then the Lord God commanded the man, You may eat freely from every tree of the orchard. All these trees. Uh, the, the command is, is, is you know, it's just, it's just enjoy everything I've given you. It's wonderful. I mean, the, the options are endless out here. Just Enjoy it. But, verse 17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. So, so here, there's one command for living in the garden. One small command. Eat everything you want. Oh, enjoy the whole garden. But this one tree, Do not eat from this tree. God essentially says to Adam and to Eve, trust me on this, don't eat from this tree. I've given you everything you need in this garden for for, for your well-being, for us to live in a perfect relationship together, but now I've put in a boundary. Let's face it, we don't like boundaries, do we, right? But that's part of life. I mean, boundaries are healthy. They're good. I mean, uh, you know, thankfully, the, there's a line on the road that tells you which side to drive on and the other people are supposed to drive on the other side. You know, I mean, that, that helps you, right? Uh, in my first house, our first house, we had a backyard that, that backed onto one of the busiest streets on East Airdrie. And we fenced that thing and then there was a gate and my kids would go in the backyard and play, but I didn't let them go outside the gate because there was a, a busy street. And when they did, they went with, and we held hands and, then we, and I, I was careful, right? But as long as they were in, in, in the yard, they were okay, but I made sure that they, they didn't go outside that. You see? And so everywhere in life, we find ourselves with boundaries. And God puts in this, this boundary. In order to love, you have to make a choice to love. When I was at Bible college, there was a book by Gary Smalley called Love is a Decision, and a lot of young men would read this book because they, they realize that at a certain point in a relationship with a girl, and same with girls for guys too, right? I mean, there's the mushy-gushy feelings, but then at a certain point, you, it becomes a commitment. You, you actually make a commitment. You, you make a decision, and sometimes you feel the decision, sometimes you don't. And God says, I want your trust. I want your obedience. I want to be in a relationship with you, but, but I'm the creator, you're the creature. You need to trust me and my word. I've been, I've been, everything in creation is good. I am a good God. I've given you everything you need for life and, and, and for enjoyment, but trust me on this one. Don't eat from this Because when you do, you will surely die. Now, death has not shown up in the Garden of Eden yet. There's no death. Everything is life. Life, 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 life. But he's like, there's a possibility of death with this tree. Now, next week, we're going to look at what happens with this tree. But let's not jump ahead of ourselves. Did God create evil? No, he didn't. But God invites his special creation, man and woman, to trust him and to exist in a perfect relationship with him together. That means enjoying everything he's given them all around and trusting him to not eat from the one tree that he's told them not to eat from. It's hard though, isn't it? You know when you tell your kid not to push that button? What do they want to do? They want to go push the button, right? Don't touch the stove. Why not? Psst, you know, like, you know, it's it just sh- Nature. Don't eat from that tree. But God's like, trust me. Why why do we have such a hard time trusting God and believing that he's good? I mean, look at everything he's doing here. There's the orchard. There's the tree of life. I mean, you live forever right there. I mean, all these other trees good for eating and the animals, and it's like, wow, God's given us everything we need. And he just said, look, just trust me on this one. And then in verse 18, we find the one bad thing in the garden. It says in verse 18, it is not, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. I mean, everything else was good, right? The, the animals, the trees, the, the stars, everything is good, 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 good. And all of a sudden, oh, it's not good that this man is alone. So I'm gonna make a, a companion. And sometimes it's translated helper, but it's not like a, it, it's not someone lower. It, it, it's, it's a, a vice regent, it's the vice president. It's someone who, who stands right beside you, serving alongside and, and, and together and leading together. Man needs a helper. So it says in verse 19, the Lord God formed out of the ground every living animal of the field and every bird of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called, each living creature was its name. So the man named all the animals, the birds of the air, the living creatures of the field. But for Adam, no companion who corresponded to him was found. There they are the bull and the cow, the stallion and the mare, the gander, and the goose, the rooster, and the hen. And and Adam's starting to get really tired of this. Okay, there seems to be two of everything, and there's nothing for me. And it's like God allows this learning experience just to show Adam how empty he is without his own companion. Because the bull has his cow, and the stallion has his mare and the rooster has his hen and all of these are paired together and Adam has no pair. See, God created people with this need for relationship and for social interaction. So it says in verse 21, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep And while he was asleep, he took up part of the man's side and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the part he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. I mean, he's, he's, you know, this is the first anesthesia. Again, what is Adam doing to provide himself a companion? Nothing. God's doing everything, right? Okay, Adam, fall asleep, boom, and then he takes the rib out. Interesting enough, the rib is one bone that will grow back. If you have to need a bone graft, they will take it out of your, out of your rib. And, and, and then I, I read in, in one of the commentators, he said actually a, a guy had a bone graft and then needed another one went back in found out that the rib actually had grown back. So they took more of that same rib and, and, and used it other places, right? So this is, you know, God takes a, a rib out of Adam and, and creates Eve. Casudo <laughs> has said this, just as the rib is found at the side of man and it is attached to him, even so the good wife the rib of her husband stands at his side to be his helper counterpart, and her soul is bound up with his. What the old commentator Matthew Henry said, you know, not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be her beloved. (laughs) God says, I got a good plan here. And then he brings the woman to man. In verse 23, the man said, This one at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, you got to understand, in the Hebrew, I mean, he's not just, you know, reciting this like it's some Shakespearean poem or something. I mean, he's excited. He's watched all these pairs come by, and finally, there is his match. And he's like, whoa, there it is. Wow, there she is. I can't believe it. There's an excitement. God gives us everything we needed for life in the Garden of Eden, including companionship, partnership, family, and marriage. And here's the first marriage ceremony, and it says, verse 24, that's why a man leaves his father and his mother and unites with his wife, and they become a new family. So, 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 so the pattern would be that there would be a couple and they would have children and those children would leave their family unit to start their own family units and they would leave their family units to start their own family units and, and slowly but surely the, the whole earth would be populated. It says in verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked but they were not ashamed. We have this perfect world. We can't hardly even imagine it. I mean, there's, 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 there's a perfect marriage, right? The only one. And it lasted about, uh, I don't know, who knows how long, a couple months maybe. I don't know how long this lasted, but this, this is the perfect marriage. They're getting along, they communicate perfectly, they communicate with each other and with God. God is present in the garden with them. He's designed this this perfect ecosystem where God and man and all of creation exists in perfect harmony and within that harmony is a man and a woman in sexual union, producing offspring, enjoying relationship. It's perfect, there's nothing perverse about this. There's no shame, there's no embarrassment, there's no guilt, there's no death, it's perfect, the perfect world. The Lord God sets up everything we need for life. And the only thing he asks is just, just, just don't eat from this tree. Everything else is yours to enjoy. There was no COVID, no cancer, no death, no unemployment, (laughs) No balding, presumably, <laughs> you know, uh, no, no other issues, no, you know, no, you know, thyroid issues, no hypertension issues. I mean, you, na- you know, you name it. There no back problems or pain, There, nothing. Perfect world. This is what God designed for us to be. Living with him. Access to life forever enjoying relationship with one another and with him and respecting the boundaries that he put in place. Respecting trusting in him that he knows what's best for us and say, okay, if that's what you say, God, I'd believe you because you're the creator and look at all that you did. Everything here speaks to your magnificence, your wisdom, your power, your holiness. Why wouldn't I respect you? I mean, everything else is good. You just say, stay away from that. I'm I'm not gonna eat from that because I've got everything else to eat from. I mean, that would make good sense. But it's not how the story ends, is it? No, it's not how the story ends. But this reminds us that we live in a world that's not the way it was supposed to be. When you wake up and you just feel the angst of life, and, the, and, the, and you see the, this, the, the man and, and woman and just humanity trying to claw their way back into control, you think, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And it's not because Genesis 2 says that this is the way it was supposed to be. God gives life. God sustains life. God provides for life. And God sets boundaries in place for us for our protection. And that's part of the relationship we have with God is respecting the boundaries he puts in place in our lives. But then we wake up and we feel like, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And God's like, it isn't. No, it's not. But thankfully, God makes a way for us to come back to him, even when we do cross the boundaries. And of course, the, the cross of Jesus Christ is that, is that way. And interestingly enough, and in in, in, in we'll talk about this more next week, but in the, in the New Testament, they'll, they'll describe the, the cross as the tree. The tree, right? So just as one tree you know, can bring death, another tree carried death for us so that we could find life. We'll talk about it more next week but the world is not like it was supposed to be because there was one boundary that just needed to be respected. It seems like, in my reading, Eden was this special place on the earth where God communicated and dwelt with man. And the idea was we're supposed to increase the population and expand the borders of Eden across the whole of the populated earth. That was the idea. So God starts in this small space. This is His temple, His tabernacle, the place where He communicates and and, and relates to man and, and and to His offspring and to, to, to women and to their children. And it's supposed to expand to the whole earth. But there's something happened. There is no longer an Eden on the earth. Even though there's stories and you know you watch movies where you know they go through some kind of cavern into this little like you know paradise place where there's dinosaurs. That doesn't really happen. And it's you know it's, it's not what is described here, but it's, it's no longer in existence. But there will be a day again when a new heaven's and new earth and the tree of life shows up again and, and we can exist and, and, and dwell with God forever and ever, but there's something happened. But you and I all know when we wake up and we go through life that it's not the way it's supposed to be. But we can't fix it. And all of us who love to fix things struggle with that. And people that don't acknowledge God are trying to fix our world without God, and it doesn't work. We find ourselves in problems, and we keep trying to drum up our own solutions, and they all fail. I mean, think about our last season of life here, right? All the isolation and the, you know, the alienation and, you know, that's been going on. I mean, I mean, when do you isolate someone? When they're incarcerated, right? When do you put someone into solitary confinement? When they're really, really bad, right? And God here says, no, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs companionship. He needs relationship. He needs people, And so we find ourselves here in the church, and this is God's answer. Together, finding a way forward, moving closer to God day by day, realizing that there's a perfect day ahead and trusting in him and looking forward to the day when we get back to that place where we can see the tree of life and enjoy God's perfect presence and relationship. But in the meantime, we, we, we struggle because we know it's not the way it's supposed to be. But it was perfect, and everything God did was good and right. And if it's not that way today, it's not God's fault. It has to be someone else's fault. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. The difference that one little tree can make. But it's not the tree. It's the choices that we make. And God made us as moral beings the ability to choose the right thing or to choose the wrong thing. And God invites us to choose his way and not to, and to trust him and and to believe in his word. But every time we reject his word and go our own way, we always get into trouble, always. And so I invite you today to just trust God and to realize that he has a plan in the future for us to be in a perfect place with him. Like this again, that we can look forward to being in the presence of God in relationship, walking with him, talking to him forever and ever if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so I invite you, if you don't know Christ today, to just to, to receive him. We'll talk more about this next week. But God created a perfect world so that we could have a perfect relationship with him. And, and through his son, Jesus Christ, he makes the access to that available to all of us again. And so... As we close, I just invite you to pray with me and the team's gonna come up and lead us in a a closing song. Let's pray. Lord, we see a lot of horrific stuff in our world today. Wars, hatred, Racism, death, sickness, greed, selfishness, all this stuff that you did not plan for. Lord, you made a perfect world for us to live. And we thank you that even though we messed it up, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to restore a relationship with you so that we could look forward to a, a perfect day in the future. Even this week, Lord, as we face this, the difficulties of life and the, the challenges of an imperfect world, remind us of your perfection, of your glory, of your majesty, and of the glory of heaven that we look forward to. Strengthen our hearts in this truth. This week we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now to the one who is able to keep you from falling, and to cause you to stand rejoicing without blemish before his glorious presence. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and for all eternity, God's people said, Amen. God bless you.